Hi everyone, welcome back to Mission Japan. This is where we talk about various embassies and their missions in Japan, where they started, where they're housed right now, where they're located, where that land came from, and what is the prognosis of their relationship with Japan going forward. Today I have the honor of welcoming the ambassador from Israel, Yafa Ben Adi. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. You've traveled so far to join us. What, 600 yards? Approximately, yes. Yes, your embassy is located in the Bancho area, yeah. Nibancho. How long has the embassy been there? Well, about uh, 50 years. 50 years. So the relationship between Japan and Israel started in, what, 1952? Exactly. But they didn't actually have an embassy here until, what, 10, 15 years after that? Exactly 10 years. Okay. 63, the, the presence of, uh, of the mission uh, in both countries was upgraded to a level of an embassy. That was back in 63. Okay, so... Israel as a state was established very recently to that point, and then in 1952, they decided to establish some sort of a diplomatic legation, and from there, from 1952 to 1962 or 63, Three. they actually signed diplomatic papers, they exchanged them, and is that when the Japanese also opened an embassy in, in uh, Tel Aviv? Not exactly. Basically, um, official diplomatic relations started on the 15th of May, 1952. Okay. That was when the uh, foreign minister of Japan acknowledged the request of Israel to open diplomatic relations. So from that moment on, this is the 15th of May, 1952. And that was merely two weeks after Japan became totally independent. And uh, Israel was the first Middle Eastern country to open a mission in Tokyo. Excellent. How about that? And Japan had been doing the same in Israel. It was the first Asian country with whom we had a, a full diplomatic relation. Why is that? What's that, that foundation? Because I know that the, 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 the Jews and the Japanese, they're, it's a weird kind of relationship that go way back in history. I don't like the word weird. I do like the word interesting. Ah, okay. I think uh, we have uh, uh, fascinating similarities and uh, differences. Mm -hmm. And um, the collaboration or the combination of the two is something that is enriching the future. Right. But maybe we'll talk about it later. But we, we can say, identifying the past, we had past relationship between uh, Jewish people and Japan. Before the, the state was even established, exactly. right? Exactly. Right. One should say, even in a political manner, that back in uh, San Remo, uh, when British, the British mandate was established, it was also thanks to the Japanese uh, uh, foreign minister at the time who supported that uh, mandate, allowing the Jewish people to return to their homeland, establishing a Jewish state. Right, because there was an experiment, wasn't there? They were shipping them to Hong Kong, to Shanghai, uh, to parts of Japan as well. That came much later. As a matter of fact, uh, um, we will not get into the whole history of the, of the Jewish state or the rebirth of, of the Jewish state, because you do know that the Jews were dispersed all over the world for 2,000 years. I think it's right. the only case in history where a same nation is coming back home after so, such a long period. And I think the, the um, determination and, the, and the, the strong will of a nation is something that is similar between Jews and Japanese. Mm -hmm. So maybe the Japanese people can identify with our strong will and hope. Um, for national uh, and determination, you know, to have our own state. But at the same time of that support, much later on, uh, uh, 20 years later on, we have the Second World War, 
where Japan joined Nazi Germany, but yet, in spite of that, allowing Jewish people, thanks to Sugihara, to, uh, who enabled uh, thousands of Jews to escape from Nazi Germany, in, from Kovna, Lithuania, and finding a haven in Japan. Mm-hmm. So thousands of Jews at the time of the Second World War, at the time of the Holocaust, were saved, their lives were saved, uh, and they found uh, uh, their haven in uh, Kobe. Later on, being also uh, moving from Kobe to Shanghai under the Japanese occupation, still their life was saved. So, yes, we do have a history with, with some positive uh, uh, even uh, feeling between the two nations. Mm-hmm. Even uh, between the, the uh, Japanese-Russian War of 1902 sure. or so, there was a, a banker, an Jewish American banker, banker yeah. who gave a, just a tremendous amount of money. He believed in what Japan was attempting to do. And because of him, not solely because of him, but because of his, his largesse, um, Japan was able to do the un, unthinkable. True. The assistant from East Bank in the United States was very helpful to Japan to win the war against Russia at the time. But, uh, of course... Also, we had the problem of uh, the persecution that Jewish people suffered in in Russia. Mm-hmm. Hence, it was a, a meeting point of, of, of the interests. But definitely, that was a, a very appreciated assistance at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you? I mean, I'm sure psychologists have, have looked into that. What is this glue? I mean, it's a very special relationship. It kind of cooled during the, the oil embargo because the Japanese were so thirsty for oil and they kind of made a choice. And it, it, it cooled the relationship, but even in spite of that, uh, there's an affinity that just it, it really escapes, you know, my my ability to describe it. Well, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not uh, attempting to make any analysis of the relationship from that uh, uh, point of view. But I would like to say, as a diplomat, and uh, previously I was the head of the economic uh, division in the foreign ministry, taking care of uh, promoting. Uh, Israel's uh, foreign economic relations, that today diplomacy is basically openly relying on many sectors of, uh, of getting close to one another. It's not only, uh, you know, empathy. It's not only military or defense issues as in the past glorious time of, of mm-hmm. you know, 200 years ago. It was all, uh, uh, made on an agreement to fight together similar wars, etc., Today, it's much more cultural, maybe psychological, as you suggest, but also a lot of economic interests. Mm-hmm. And you have to combine the, the, the whole basket. It's, it's, it's a basket full of goodies. And definitely, interest-wise, there are many interests involved. And you can see, if you are looking on the 66 years of relation between Japan and, and uh, Israel, you will see the ups and downs of the relationship um, as a as a kind of a regression line of decision making process out of the economic interest yes. sector, right. and definitely the first twenty years were good. They developed slowly, you know, but uh, according to times at the time. But the two economies did marvels. Maybe the um, Japanese economy did much better than Israel at the time in the fifties and sixties. But also for us, it was a U-turn development. Uh, that made Israel suddenly from getting assistance 
for all the problem of absorption of new immigrants and all the, uh, you know, the other security challenges that we had to face with the different attacks by the Arab world mm -hmm. at the time. So definitely we had very many challenges, but yet we developed our economy to a level of an export from an import oriented to an export oriented mm -hmm. uh, uh, economy. And also from a socialist uh, 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 kind of philosophy, economic philosophy into capitalism and into privatization. And our industry started to flourish. But yet, it's a small country with um, no natural resources. Until recently, we are facing with a new development. But our main resource are the human beings, right. you know, the, the human power. And definitely, there's another thing that we are partnering with, with Japan, because Japan... Uh, as big as it is, even though it's smaller in, in, in light of the neighborhood, but it's a, it's a big country that has uh, main resources, the human being, is the, is the people, right. the people yeah. power. And basically, we are sharing similar values of investing in education, in engineering, knowledge, in technology, right. technology, in knowledge, in mm -hmm. science. And not for nothing, uh, 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 you can see that, um, uh, well, for Japan, it's the number one in Asia for its um, Nobel Prize laureates, 25 of them. Israel is only 12. But if you compare it to the number of, of population, mm -hmm. the ratio is much higher in Israel. But the idea is that we have similar you know, values of developing our knowledge, our technology, our, our science. And mm -hmm. so we are very fitting. Right. We're not competing. We are complementing uh, uh, each other, especially in our economy, because uh, Japan, soon after the war, in, within 20 years or so, be, be turned into the number two economy of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, Israel uh, took it uh, about 40 years to develop the miracle of its position now as a very strong economy. Of course, very far from, from Japan, very far behind of Japan, but... But also somewhat restricted because of, of being surrounded by enemies and the, the, the need to develop armaments and to hoist an, an army in, while you're trying to create an economy as well. Yes, but I think despite all that, the emphasis that brought us as I was starting to, 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 to show the graph of the relationship of the up and down. So the first 10 years were climbing up normally. Then the, the mission became an embassy in both countries. There were exchange of, you know, visits, etc., but there were no agreement. Mm -hmm. And then in, after 67 and especially 73 with the uh, Arab boycott or actually the oil crisis that caused Japan still to keep the relation, not to sever them as some other countries did. But yet, in that sense, in the next 20 years from 73, I would say until 91, 92, the relation were kept, but much empty. Mm -hmm in the sense of real trade or real investment or real any economic uh, uh, development. I must admit that in the 80s, I had a Japanese car, Subaru. But that was the only car sold uh -huh. in Israel. The, I think it was Fuji company that was still doing, I mean, the only one that did business in Israel. In the 90s, I think in 93 or 92, 93, there was a totally different picture. Toyota came in. And then today we have all, I would say that the majority of the cars in Israel are Japanese. Mm -hmm. So it's a, again another change. So if I'm coming to calculate the first 20 years were a development, a kind of a normal development, the 20 years after were really crashing down because of economic reason. And 
exactly uh, after the Gulf War. Um, the, the whole idea of the Arab boycott, you know, was suddenly empty because both Egypt had already a relation, peace relation with Israel from 79, 40 years ago. But yet, uh, after the fall of the Berlin War and suddenly after um, many countries like China right. have created relation with Israel and the pace in which China developed its relation with Israel was much faster, I think Japan at that time realized that they have something to lose. And the development of the relation from the economic point of view started. Agreement started. In the, in the 90s, there was just beginning of the, of the positive development and from a trade of about a hundred or a few hundreds of dollars, of million of dollars of relationship, when the 70% of Israeli export, 70% of Israeli export to Japan was diamond, and the import from Israel of diamond was about 29% of Japan uh, import at that time. Soon, in 93, it went up to 2 billion mm -hmm. uh, uh, total volume of trade. That shows you the exact jump. Today, you can see 20 years later, a different shift, but it's a, even a more positive shift. And on that, maybe we can uh, sure. specifically... Well, well, I know that it's, it's just prelude because what's going on in Israel right now and the age of the, it's not the intelligentsia, it's, it's just basically the population, the high level of, of, of education. Uh, the, the Israel are the, they're people of the book, so they've, they've been learning, they've, they've, their, their culture is learning, and this explosion that we can expect because of the, so many startups that are there, the ideas that are coming out in, in cryptology and all of these just wonderful things that, gosh, only the, the Israelis can do. There are so many little pockets of, of, of uh, technology that they really dominate in. Basically, Israel today is a, it's in a very leadership position, especially on innovation. And uh, I would like to say, you know, with modesty, there is not a sector, a field, of an issue that Israel doesn't have expertise in innovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's actually from the land to the space. Uh, it's from agriculture, that we conceive it as a, as a very developed science in mm -hmm. Israel. And it's not just happening recently. Uh, innovating in agriculture started in the 50s. Uh -huh. Energy, energy issues, uh, actually solar energy was developed in the 50s. Water management was developed in the 60s. Israel innovative uh, uh, process has started from long time, even mm -hmm. before the state was born, but actually was uh, uh, regenerated immediately after the statehood because the challenges were calling for more, more attention to it, mm -hmm. um, the mind of the people. But in the 90s, government stepped in even more deeper in encouraging the ecosystem of innovation, creating uh, incubators, 24 incubators around the country. So we have developed a, a very interesting ecosystem that many likes to, to mm -hmm. understand and to copy. But after, through the process of privatization, through the process of, you know, uh, economic uh, uh, growth that occurred in the 90s in Israel, we came to a point where today we have a very, uh, uh, um, we have become a center of interest of very many issues of innovation, especially in cybersecurity, mm -hmm. 
Internet of Things now is the main issue. So everything is connected and everything can be terrorized. So cybersecurity is a very important issue for infrastructure or for the autonomous cars or what have you not. And also, of course, um, the issue of um, um, the medical care, uh, life sciences, yes. collaborating between the scientific, the academic levels, and uh, finding the right development. Israel being a strong economy has also been attracted, attracting, being very attractive, to uh, investment, to foreign investment. Today we have 350 global companies, Google, Facebook, you, you name Dance it, so Intel. Everybody's there. Out of 350 such R&D centers of global uh, corporate, there are 220 Americans, very many European, and now growing numbers of Chinese, Korean, mm -hmm. and Japanese. Okay, a growing number of investment to the point that in 2013, the uh, Japanese investment in Israel at the time was about 20 million US dollars. Today, four years later, five years later, we are calculating over 6 billion US dollars. This is more than 120 times yes. fold. So definitely it's a growing interest. And the uh, about 70 Japanese companies are already opening office or making some investment of sort. All, almost all the, um, the um, trading companies, Japanese major trading companies, have opened an office and, 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 and some kind of investment in Israel. 11 of Japanese companies have already established R&D centers. So we are looking at a, at a growing, a, a, a very intensively growing Japanese involvement in the Israeli economy, the basic notion of it is that the collaboration between great minds together can create a much bigger impact, not only on the two economies, something that both, both countries will enjoy, but also on third countries. Right. Mm -hmm. You have a particularly good friend in Shinzo Abe, the Prime Minister of Japan. What's the foundation of that? He will soon be the longest-serving Prime Minister in Japanese history. So this is really important that you have such a, a, a tight relationship with him. What, what's the underpinning of that? Do you know? I think that uh, it has a lot to do with the way Prime Minister Abe is looking at the economy and the fact that he identified the values of doing a stronger relation, make, having a stronger relation with mm -hmm. Israel uh, for the uh, Japanese economy. The Abenomics is something that you're familiar with. I think the fact that both prime ministers visited each other yes. and there is kind of a chemistry of relationship Just between them. Just in the them. spring, right? Yeah. Basically, it was his second visit. The first time he visited Israel was in May 2015. Prior, in January 2015. Prior to that, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu visited Japan in May 2014. Mm -hmm. But I must admit that even before that, an interesting fact is that the KDRN sent in February 2014. February 2014, there was an initial big delegation that came to Israel to, you know, scouting and seeing what, what we can do together. So the matchmaking yeah. process... And Jetro is there as well. Exactly. Right. From 1997, but you know, uh, in the sense. So, to conclude, I would say that the the government-to-government, -government, the G2G relation became a catalysator, you know, mm -hmm. a catalyst, something that really boosted the economic interest and the um, 
already starting to grow interest in the economic field with the business community. So they got a jump start to mm -hmm. the process through the visits. Now, in this May, uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe visited again in May 2018. And again, to promote, it's another push to promote. There was a, the gene was established, which is the Japan-Israel Innovation Network, which is a collaboration of both government and non-government economic organization to, to boost the matching of the two economies on the issue of innovation. And I think it's an exciting, uh -huh. uh, exciting collaboration. Tell me about, uh, if we can go back a little bit more to, to the embassy and the presence of, of Israel in Japan. The Chamber of Commerce, how vibrant is that? You know, it strikes me that there are so few Israelis who live in, in Tokyo or live in Japan. I think uh, it's an interesting question, but I would like to say that uh, the proximity is the problem. Yes, far away. We are far away yes. from each other. We, are, we have many similarities, but geographically we are far is, apart. Yes. Unfortunately, in spite of the agreement that we have on transportation of mutual lending rights in both countries, it was never right. it was never materialized. Mm -hmm. So uh, when El Al wanted to land, they were not permitted. When they were permitted, you know, it didn't come into fruition. And now, I've been knocking on doors in in you know uh, among uh, Japanese airlines, and uh, finally, I hope it's not a question of when of if it's a question of when a direct line will be established. So a direct flight, you think, would, would really change that? Absolutely. It's a game changer. Okay. Because business people, uh, uh, actually, they want to save time. Mm -hmm. And it takes too long through a transit, uh, you know, uh, uh, flight to go from one location to another. You come to do business in two days. You're wasting four days on that the road. That's too much of investment. So basically, we'll, it will be a direct line whenever. It will be really a boost to the relations and to the economic relation between the two countries. A lot of people have that same complaint, don't they? A lot of other countries. True, because it becomes a, a, an issue of a, an egg and you know and a chicken. What right. comes first? And the airlines say, well, there is not a demand. We yes. already last year surpassed fifty thousand in volume of, of, of uh, you know Japanese and Israelis uh, going into each other's country. Definitely, Israel is coming to visit Japan much more than Japanese come to Israel. And, but we do expect that this year, 2018, will show much higher numbers, so we will surpass the 60,000. Okay, so the numbers on tourism, the, there are more Israelis that visit Japan than Japanese that visit 25 Israel. times bigger because if in relations in, to, to, to the population, because after 20, 126 million uh, Japanese, only 18,000 visited uh, Israel in 2017, where Israel has less than 9 million people. Right. And we've been visiting uh, Japan, 33,000 people in, in, uh, in 2017. So the numbers, and now it's a buzz. Very many Israelis are being fascinated by Japan sure. for years. Even in, in schools, in academia, many people, you know, even learn Japanese from the anima on, on mm -hmm. TV. We've been exposed, a generation of our children were exposed to Japanese uh, uh, language through the anima, through the Pokemon, and even uh, through the martial arts. Mm -hmm. uh, in Israel, in, 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 in Tel Aviv, I think it's the uh, biggest number of sushi restaurants outside of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. So um, the Japan culture and the Japan beauty is something which has been a, a, a really attractive for Israelis, but it was too expensive. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it became more feasible. So many more Israelis are coming from whatever uh, you know, left and right. We hope that coming uh, season next year, 
it will have uh, uh, we, we will have at least some charter flights with Elal and. Uh, Hopefully, we will see much bigger numbers. <laughs> well, hopefully, this video will help us. The Israeli mission in Japan, it's been here since 1952. The prospects for flourishing in the future is really apparent. Please stay tuned. Thank you very much for joining us. Mm -hmm.